Please be seated. Uh, I figure most of us uh, fall somewhere in a spectrum of experience with study of uh, understanding of scripture. Uh, certainly in the culture today, uh, which is not by any stretch of the imagination a Christian culture, the Bible is quickly dismissed as just sort of an old bunch of old myths from an imaginary invisible man in the sky, and they really don't have anything to say to us. In fact, a, a recent study uh, showed that the less people know about a subject, the more confident they seem to be that they know something about that subject. And so if you've never read the Bible, it's easy to dismiss it and say, yeah, it's really not anything important to us anymore. It's from the olden days, and people believed in imaginary beings, and we're all grown up now and can just live our lives uh, according to our, to our own lights rather than instructions given to us by people who are long dead. That's a rough and I don't think inaccurate summary of life in the culture today, pretty much in most of the world, with some variations here and there. I also believe that it, it is fundamentally wrong and that there is in scripture from Genesis to Revelation a depth of understanding of the human character and of what makes for a healthy life with other human beings if we take the time to learn from it. I want to give some examples of that this morning and see if they maybe don't apply to our lives. And the first thing I want to say about this is that as I have been invited over the course of years to study more and to study more deeply, and I don't just mean as an intellectual exercise, I mean to really see what the words are that are convicting, that it has an effect on my soul as it does on yours, I'm certain which helps me to understand, to open my eyes to the goodness of God and of the goodness of his desire for us. When I was in seminary, one of the challenges that I had was the need to take a course in the Old Testament and a year-long course, academic year. And I can tell you this was not something I looked forward to at all. I loved what Jesus had to say. I loved the things that were taught by his disciples and by Paul and others. I learned from them. I saw how they used passages from the Old Testament. But aside from that, to me, it was like that box of books up in the attic that belonged to your grandparents. There's pictures in there and other stuff from those days. 
And I suppose it's sort of interesting and someday let's go up there and go through some of it. But it really didn't have much more importance than that. And then in my final year of seminary, I had to study Old Testament and it happened that I had to go to a seminary other than my own for administrative reasons. And I ended up studying under one of the greatest scholars of the Old Testament alive at the time, Dwayne Christensen, so regarded both by Christian and Jewish scholars. This guy was a long ball hitter. He really, really, really understood what we call the Old Testament. And the effect for me and for the other students in this class was what we called the white knuckle class. Because every time we went there, he opened the scriptures to us in a way that caused us to grip our desks and our knuckles to turn white. It was as if I'd gone up into the attic, opened that dusty old box, looked inside, and the face of God was looking back at me. It was a chilling, convicting experience. And it began a journey for me, which I'm still definitely on, of discovering the depth and wisdom of God's intentional revelation to us of himself and of what it is that he desires of us. The word in Hebrew for commandment is mitzvah, plural mitzvot. You know, if you have Jewish friends, when they do you a favor, what do they call it? Call it doing a mitzvah. And if somebody lends you a hand, they did a mitzvah for you, a good deed. So the same word in Hebrew means commandment and good deed. It's not just some artificial legalism that we have to do or he crushes us like a bug. The very idea of the commandments is do these things and prosper. Do these things and suffer. So don't do those things. I'll even tell you what they are. Don't do them. And in fact, more than that, I would say that much of what we read in Scripture teaches us this lesson. And I know this is an abstraction and it's short and concise and I could probably think of a hundred whatabouts that contradicted parts of it. But so let me just suggest this summary and then I'd invite you to just spend some time mulling it over and how it might or might not apply. Generosity produces abundance. Selfishness produces poverty. That's the message of God from Genesis to Revelation. It's what you heard in the summary of the law from Jesus. Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. You realize how thorough that is? And he says all the Torah, all the law, and the prophets 
depend on these two commands. I would say stand under these two commands. If you're doing something to somebody else, no matter how justified it seems or what scriptures you can quote or I can quote to justify it, if it is not a loving act, it fails the test. Everything has to be tested by those two. Does it show love of God, love of neighbor? In fact, Hillel, a rabbi at the time of Jesus, said, well, in fact, let me tell you this whole story. It's really fun. There were two famous rabbis at the time of Jesus, Hillel and Shammai. Very different. And their disciples often argued with each other. And in fact, this encounter Jesus has where he says the first and great commandment is this, love God, the second, love your neighbor as yourself. There's at least some speculation. This was an argument that the followers of Hillel and Shammai were having with each other, and they went to see what this rabbi Jesus might say about what's the greatest commandment. That was the argument. And so Jesus replies, the greatest commandment is that, love your neighbor, or rather, love God with all your heart, mind, and strength. The Hebrew actually on that last word is very interesting. Those of you who have studied Hebrew, just go look at that last word that's always translated strength. It's actually an adjective, not a noun. Just go look at it. It's fun. But love God with all your heart, mind, and strength. First and great commandment, Jesus says, in response to their question about what's the greatest commandment. And then he says, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's like out of the blue. I'm sure it rocked them back on their heels a bit. And then he says, everything depends on these two. So Hillel and Shammai. There's a rather disagreeable man decides to go and confront these two rabbis. And he goes to Shammai first. And he says to Shammai, I want you to stand on one leg and explain the entire Torah to me. Shammai picks up a stick and beats him and chases him away. And then he goes to Hillel, says the same thing. Stand on one leg and explain the entire Torah to me. Hillel stands on one leg and he says, that which is hateful to you, do not do to another. This is the whole of the Torah. The rest is commentary. Go and learn. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. So we begin to see as we learn more and more about the content of the scriptures that there are some things that can really speak to us. And as we press in deeper and deeper, more and more is revealed. And I want to give an example of that. One of the things that Dr. Christensen required of us for the entire academic year
was that we had to read Genesis 22. It's called the Akedah. Every single day. I mean, we ended up finding all the translations we could, all the different ways in which it was presented. We really began to live and understand and really absorb Genesis 22. It's the sacrifice of Isaac by his father Abraham. And as you do that, as you spend more and more time with a single passage like that, things start to become apparent that are not there at the beginning. Now, there's always some nonsense way to do that and make a movie called The Bible Code or something, and I don't recommend that. But there are legitimate ways of doing this that are really life-giving. There's an expression in Asia about John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. That's Jesus talking to Nicodemus. Or maybe John talking about Jesus talking to Nicodemus. There's an Asian expression for that. It's called the little gospel. And the idea is all of the New Testament is contained in that one expression. Well, for Jewish scholars and religious people, Genesis 22 is the equivalent. That's their little gospel, if you would. They say everything you need to know about God and his provision and his demands, it's all there in that one story about Genesis, about Abraham and Isaac. Now what happens as you begin to look into this passage of scripture more and more is you discover there's actually a structure under it. It's not obvious in the English. Let me give you an equivalent. Imagine that you're reading a translation of something from another language and, and the English comes out something like this. When I'm gone and you're not with me, I'm, ima I'm imagining that you are just because of my longing for you and in that longing, I promise there will be an email every day. There will be a text every day. I just, I want you to know how much I dearly, dearly love you. And every day, I'm sending my love. Well, here's how the original read. I'll pretend that I'm kissing the lips that I am missing and hope that my dreams will come true. And then while I'm away, I'll write home every day and I'll send all my loving to you. John and Paul, the Beatles, one of the great hits. Well, you see the structure that's there in the verse. I'll pretend that I'm kissing the lips I am missing. Let's call that A and A. And then, and hope that my dreams will come true. We'll call that B. And then, and then while I'm away, I'll write home every day. Two lines, we'll call that C. So A rhymes with A, and then there's a B. And then C rhymes with C. And then the final line, 
and I'll send all my loving to you. That's a B. So it's A-A-B-C-C-B. See that structure there? And if you look at the hymns that we sing, the songs, popular, modern, old, whatever, you'll discover consistent structures in them. And there very often is a purpose to that structure in order to get the real message through. Guess what? It's true in scripture too. So Genesis 22. I'm gonna take you through this relatively quickly and just invite you to go and discover more on your own. Starts this way. Now it was after these things that God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, I'm here, he said. Then he said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains about which I will tell you. Uh, any of you who are parents would be scandalized by this, horrified. God just told me to go and burn my son to death. Really? That's what he wants from me? Really? Yet there it is. And Abraham's response, so Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son. He split wood for the burnt offering, got up, and went to the place about which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, sit yourselves down here with the donkey. As for me and the young man, that is Isaac, we'll go over there and worship and return to you. Then Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and put it on Isaac, his son, in his hand, he took the fire and the knife, and the two of them walked on together. Remember that sentence, and the two of them walked on together. Then Isaac said to Abraham, his father, my father? Then he said, yes, my son. He said, look, here's the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb? for the burnt offering. Abraham said, God will provide for himself a lamb for a burnt offering, my son. The two of them walked on together. Now I'm just gonna pause and unpack this a little bit and invite you to find a time and a place and do a little more work. I promise it'll be enjoyable and revealing. But I wanna point out something here. At the very beginning, now it was after these things that God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, and one translation will be, I'm here, or yes, Lord, or behold, or whatever. This is a Hebrew word, hineni, or hineni. It appears throughout this entire passage. But in English, almost every time it's translated, it's translated in a different way. In one case, it's I'm here, in another, it's look, and so on. So you don't pick up the fact that this one word keeps appearing 
over and over again in Genesis 22, and it actually forms a pattern. And then there's a secondary pattern here, which is they walked on together. Isaac questions his father. They walk on together. Let me tell you what the Jewish normative best scholarship on this passage is today. First of all, how old's Isaac? If you've been to Sunday school and you heard this story, you have this picture in your head of this robust Abraham and Isaac, he's maybe eight or nine, ten, somewhere in there, young boy. Best scholarship says, no, he was probably 35, which makes Abraham 135. Now take this picture, it's very different. You have a 135-year-old man and his robust 35-year-old son who is no dummy. And as they're going there, the son carrying the wood for the fire, his father a knife and fire, the son stops him and says, Dad, where's the lamb? He's figured out something's going on here. And then they walk on together. Now they get to the spot where Isaac is going to be sacrificed. If it's a little kid and a big, strong man, he can tie him up and put him on the pile of sticks easily. If he's 35 and his father is 135, he doesn't get on top of that pile of sticks without his willing cooperation. So Christians for a long time have seen a picture in this passage of scripture of Jesus and the wood on his back. It goes beyond that. And in fact, one of the ancient Jewish commentaries on this passage, right at the moment when Abraham is about to sacrifice his son, the picture here in this commentary from heaven is a conversation between two angels. And one angel says to the other, look at this, at, at what's going on down on earth. The, the man Abraham and his son Isaac, the father lifts the knife to slay his son and the son stretches forth his neck. You want a picture of the crucifixion? That's the willingness of the son. In this story, the son and Abraham are rescued by the intervention of an angel in the giving of a ram. In the story of Jesus, the son willingly gives up his own life for the redemption of us. It is a pact, a cooperation between the father and the son in both cases. The picture in the Akedah in Genesis 22 is extraordinary. 
And when you see things like Hineni, Hineni, or they walked on together, these focus down to the single center of this story, which is the question that the son asks his father. They both know, and they walk on together. Just as a way of wrapping up, the one thing that strikes me over the course of history, when you look at kings, almost without exception, kings sacrifice their people to preserve themselves. The king of kings sacrifices himself to preserve his people. That's a king I can follow. His willing yielding, like that of Isaac, but this of the son to God the Father, his willing yielding. How much more fully could he love his neighbor as himself? than to sacrifice himself for the love of the neighbor. That's, that's you, that's me. That's a king I can follow. That's a king whose teachings and life and example I can follow. That's a book of commandments, good deeds, of teachings that I can use to rightly order my life whether anybody else despises it or not, I don't care. When I look at what God reveals to us about who we are and who he is and how to live a life of love, it makes the scriptures something I want to study so that I might respond to my God in a more loving and holy way every day. He's given us himself. How could we possibly despise that?